Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Quick note before we begin, the Finding Genius Foundation, as part of the Finding Genius Podcast, has recently completed a book about understanding viruses. So the creation of this book was to interview 100 virologists, ask them a lot of deep, difficult questions, take the most difficult questions, and then re-interview the top 25 or so and ask them the hardest questions I could think of. And we compiled that all into a book. So you'll see question and four or five experts' answers. Question, four or five experts' answers. There's about 30 questions in the book. I think it's a great read for the layperson and for the researcher. talks about a lot of speculation in the world of viruses, such as are they alive or not, and why is it important? Uh, Why do viruses go latent or hidden or ineffective or sit in a person or an animal or another creature for weeks, months, years? and then suddenly become virulent and affect that person. Uh, so there's a lot of really provocative questions in the book. It's now on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and type in Finding Genius, you'll see the book on viruses. It's also on Kindle. The Audible version is in production and should be ready in approximately a month. But if you want to go and order it now, uh, you can do so again by going to Amazon or Kindle or go, go to findinggeniusfoundation.org and go to Publications. There's an opportunity as well to get the transcripts of all the interviews and to hear the original interviews themselves. If we had put them all together, the book would be about a thousand pages, but we condensed them down to make it juicy and concise and tight and very interesting. So I hope you'll check out the book. Uh, we're now working on one about cancer, but this is going to be our goal is uh, three times a year to come out with these masterclass books that I think will inspire new scientific research, and I hope you'll check it out. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Shi Huang. He's an assistant professor in the Department of Molecular Genetics at University of Toronto. And we're going to talk about uh, his studies, which appear to be the physical properties and mechanoelectrical chemical signaling in cancer. So Shi, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me, Richard. If you would, tell me about your research. Yes. So, so as you mentioned, I'm a principal investigator at uh, University of Toronto. I'm also a scientist at the uh, Children, the Hospital for Sick Children at Toronto. So my lab study um, brain cancer, and particularly we studied two major types of brain cancer. Uh, one is called medulloblastoma, which is the most common type of a brain cancer in children. The other one is called glioma, so that's the most common type in, in adults. Particularly, we actually study very heavily on how mechanical forces. So you know, mechanical forces includes compressive uh, force, tensile force. Or it could be in a shear stress form, and how those various form of forces is sensed by the cancer cells, and how the tumor cells respond to those mechanical forces. Well, how do normal cells and tissues respond to uh, different stresses or torsions or things like that? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Actually, you know, I, I always tell my uh, lab members that force is everywhere. Like every single cell, or you, you can imagine every single molecule in every cell. Ex- constantly experience all type of uh, forces so so that that certainly includes a uh, uh, so-called normal or non-tumor cells like you know you can imagine when cell divide when cell move 
when there's uh, other extracellular protein depositions, that will cause all type of uh, forces that, that can be sensed and perceived by cells. So, so during normal development, people actually know that the brain cells, uh, such as a neural stem cell, can respond to mechanical forces. And that, in turn, regulate uh, different properties of a neural stem cell that eventually shape our final brain. So what are you observing in tumors? Like what are you doing this in vitro? How do you subject a tumor to different stresses to measure what it will do? Yeah, so uh, we use a couple of different uh, model systems. Uh, Certainly we do in vitro studies. We culture either primary uh, tumor, brain tumor cells from mouse models, or we culture patient-derived cell lines. But beyond the cell culture, we also use uh, two different uh, genetic model systems. So one is called Drosophila. You might know that that's commonly known as fruit flies. Uh, we use Drosophila mm-hmm. genetics to manipulate, for example, the sensors, the molecular sensor of a different type of force, and then ask the question how the force sensor manipulations will, one, change the development of a normal brain cells, or when the brain tumor developing a fly model, how the four sensor manipulation change tumor growth. So that's our second model. But our third model is mouse model for brain tumors. So we, we develop, a, as I mentioned, medulloblastoma mouse models or glioma mouse models. And we ask similarly, uh, if you manip- uh, manipulate the sensor of the force or downstream responders when the force is uh, perceived by the tumor cell, what's the outcome? So we use a complementary model system to ask our questions. So why are you, why are you studying this? What gave you the idea that um, mechanical forces would be important to tumor dynamics? Yeah, that's uh, also a great question. Well, I, I think, uh, I like to think our lab does a curiosity-driven research. You know, we, we often have a hypothesis, but uh, depending on what the data tells us, we uh, will modify a hypothesis and then perhaps we can uh, venture into a completely new area. So, so you know, I, I can probably answer this question by telling you that although my lab right now study brain cancer, I was never formally trained in a cancer biology lab, either in my PhD or postdoctoral fellowship. I was trained as a developmental biologist and I, re- well, I was trained in ion channel physiology. It's only mm-hmm. after I had my lab uh, about two years uh, at, at Toronto uh, from a genetic screen using Drosophila model of a brain tumor, we identified a particular type of a force sensor called mechanosensitive ion channel. Uh, if you knock out this gene, that uh, dramatically suppressed brain tumor growth in fly. And that, that's essentially a, you know, the beginning of our story. But Right now, you know, two, three, four years later, maybe 90% of my lab is studying mechanobiology on brain tumor. So what kind of interesting things are you discovering if you um, if you change the mechanics of uh, the stresses on a given tumor tissue? Yes. Yeah, well, well, what do you see? Does the, uh, you know, how do normal cells react versus uh, cancer cells? What's what's the difference observed if you put them under mechanical stresses? Yeah, so, uh, you know, one, one, I can give you one specific uh, story that we published in 2018 that involves a particular mechanosensitive uh, molecule called piezo, which is ion channel. When a particular cell responds to a mechanical force, uh, this piezo mechanosensitive ion channel opens to permeate calcium. And, and you might know when the calcium enters the cells that basically elicit a whole spectrum of uh, cellular signaling. So first thing that we did is basically perform genetic knockout of these uh, mechanical sensors. But surprisingly, we actually didn't find any particular brain development phenotypes. Uh, in other words, if you 
completely remove the function of piezo channel in Drosophila brain, the brain pretty much developed as it has the channel. Uh, no difference during normal physiology. But when we add this genetic knockout of piezo into multiple different fly models of glioma, it could, you know, including mimicking a human low-grade or high-grade glioma, in any glioma case, if you take out these uh, mechanical sensors, the, the tumor growth are largely suppressed. Uh, as some um, cases, actually, the tumor-bearing brain looks like non-tumor-bearing brain, like no normal brain. So, so we think, uh, at least for specific type of mechanosensitive channels, it might play a very tumor-specific role, but dispensable to normal physiology. Do you think that the mechanics and the stresses affect the cell-to-cell -cell signaling of the ability of various metabolites and substances to flow in and around the cells that comprise a tumor? Is that why? Yes, yes. So uh, I think, um, you know, basically tumor involves uh, many different cell types. As, as you mentioned, there are tumor cells. Uh, there are also non-tumor cells. So particularly in the brain tumor case, within the tumor cell case, you have a so-called cancer stem cells. And cancer stem cell can give rise to really fastly dividing cells. And then after fast divisions, the tumor might become differentiated. So that, that only refers to the tumor cells. But if you think about it, the, the tumor uh, cells are really surrounded by a large number of normal cells, like neurons and glia. So they frequently bump into each other to cause solid stress. And then you have vasculature. So as you mentioned, that might be fluidic shear stress coming out from the leaky vasculature. So all these different types of cells can be sensed, uh, forces can be sensed by uh, either the tumor or non-tumor cells in the so-called tumor ecosystem. And we have evidence published and unpublished to, to suggest that different type of cells. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Might respond to this force in different ways, but the end outcome is that actually uh, promote and establish a very malignant state that we want to treat the tumor with. So what, I don't know, what actionable knowledge have you gotten from this? Like what uh, in the body or in a, you know, in a mouse model, in a person, et cetera. I mean, organs are undergoing all kinds of, you know, squishing and shearing and, you know, different pressures and things like that all the time. You know, they're attached, I know, by by ligaments, I guess, to the rib cage and things like that. Yeah. What, what, what happens in someone if they have cancer in a particular organ? Does the, I don't know, does the physiodynamics of that organ change very much? And is that a, is that a, a big problem? Like, how does this uh, resolve? Yes. So, uh, you know, there's certainly um, accumulating evidence actually uh, documenting that, you know, one very prominent physical property of cancer tissue is uh, frequently altered. That refers to the so-called tissue stiffness or tissue rigidity. You know, in many type of solid tumors, including brain tumor, but but also includes, for example, breast tumor, 
or lung cancer, the tissue property changes in such that the tissue always, not always, frequently becomes stiffened. So basically, if you you know use your finger to press an object, the, the stiffer object will will have less uh, physical deformation. And solid tumor uh, frequently display uh, that changes as well. And you can imagine if any cells, including tumor cells and non-tumor cells, live in a more rigid microenvironment that actually provides ample mechanical cues that the cells might uh, respond to. So what we found is, um, you know, the mechanosensitive ion channel piezo, for example, is a key sensor for the stiffness value of the microenvironment a cancer cell lives. And that tissue stiffening frequently promotes tumor growth. But you can imagine if you take out a molecular sensor for this tissue stiffening, uh, i.e. this uh, piezo channel, then the, the tumor cells lost its uh, capacity to sense this critical change in their physical microenvironment. And that provides actually a, a very important avenue for us to, to target this uh, physical trait of a solid tumor to suppress uh, tumor malignancy. But why would a stiffer tissue environment contribute to cancer growth? Yeah, so uh, also a great question. You know, many, many prior, uh, prior works uh, suggested, you know, so, so first thing is actually this comes on the phenomena, right? You know, the most vivid example perhaps is a breast cancer. The palpation is actually frequent uh, and, and more straightforward way for, for a person to detect maybe something wrong with uh, the breast tissue. But that actually directly refers to the change, the tissue stiffness. It becomes stiffened, it becomes more rigid. And that's a that's a a frequent sign that the solid tumor arises, and and that actually has a you know multiple molecular underpinnings. For example, the cell uh, becomes uh, more in number due to cell proliferation in a confined space, or the liquid flow is jammed in in a tumor state, or the extracellular matrix protein uh, is dysregulated, and all of these factors come together to make a tissue stiffen, and and the cells actually will respond by mechanical sensors on the cell surface to the change the tissue stiffness microenvironment. And the cell, cell uh, cytoskeleton will also sense these uh, changes. And that changes actually uh, evoke uh, downstream pro-proliferation signaling to promote the tumor cell division. So in other words, actually, it's a vicious circle. So when you have this uh, physical change in their microenvironment, uh, the tumor cells will sense this and then they will promote cell division. But when you have more cell division, the tumor cell number increases and, and then the further increase cell, uh, the tissue stiffening. So it's really a forward, a feed forward mechanism for solid tumor to promote its malignancy. So we think if you take out a key piece of this puzzle, which is the sensor of the change, the tissue stiffness. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. We might, we might have a pretty good way to break this uh, vicious circuit to treat solid tumors. Is there a way that you could stress a tumor where it would essentially cause it to become more hypoxic or anoxic or self-destruct? Could you do yeah. that somehow in the body, putting a sleeve over it or, you know, without taking it out, doing something to stress it in such a way that kills it? You are throwing out all these great questions. Actually, that, that's one of the projects that we have going on in the lab. You know, what, what I've described uh, just now is, it sounds like the physical force positive regulated to promote tumor growth, right? But and then we, we and then we would we, we develop a potential ways to mitigate or decrease the cell's uh, sensor 
sensitivity to physical force. But just like anything else, just like you know any other biochemical signaling pathways, I think everything uh, has a window in biology. So, like you said, if you if you go to the other extreme, if you provide too much physical force, would the cancer cell actually lose its ability to adapt and to cope? And maybe they will break down. Indeed, that is actually one project that we have going on in the lab. We are basically using nanomaterials that can be that can be mobilized by targeted magnetic field. And so that so the concept is if we provide really, really high level mechanical stimulations, can that basically physically tear apart the cancer cells? Then they're no, no longer they are no longer able to cope with this mechanical stress. And would that actually be tumor suppressive? And it's still early days, but the, actually the answer appears to be yes. And then we can actually potentially use nano uh, technology to apply too much st- stress, too much force on the tumor cells to destroy them. Um, are there particular cancers that, uh, for some reason, appear to be more susceptible? I mean, liquid cancers obviously wouldn't work, but, you know, solid tumors. But amongst the solids, is there a particular ones you're focusing on that seem to be more amenable to this? Yeah, great question. So my lab, uh, I should say my lab focus on brain cancer. I can theorize, but I cannot say with certainty other type of cancers that we haven't studied. But perhaps related to your question, even within the brain cancers, uh, like I mentioned, there are multiple different cancer cell types. For example, there are cells with stem cell properties that they do not frequently divide, but that's actually one mechanism that they evade uh, you know, the conventional chemotherapy or irradiation. And, and, but they, they are the culprit of tumor recurrence, and they can give rise to non-cancer stem cells, which can fastly uh, divide and repopulate the tumor post-therapy. So we indeed find a very different mechanosensing abilities among the cancer stem cells versus non-cancer stem cells. So they, they actually have a, a whole set of a different machinery that, that they can use to sense different type of force and the outcome of applying the same amount or same type of force on cancer stem cells versus non-cancer stem cells are also different. So I, I can answer with certainty that the different cancer cell type have a different ability to sense and respond to force. And I suspect that different tumor type also have similar properties as well. I know you're focused on brain cancer. Um, and I don't, so far as I know, there's no metastases with brain cancer, but um, or I guess they're localized in the brain. But I would think that the mechanical stresses in the brain would be very different. I guess the intracranial pressure would build very quickly as a tumor forms. So what have you noticed as, again, tumors form and progress and grow bigger, especially because, again, it's a pressurized environment? What happens? Yeah, so it's really fantastic uh, questions. I, I should say, you know, one of the pioneers in this field uh, in terms of studying cell and tissue mechanics in cancer is Rakesh Jain. He actually published, his lab actually published a recent papers on, just as you mentioned, how the increased intracranial pressure due to intracranial tumor growth affects both tumor growth as well as non-tumor cells, i.e. neurons. And what they reported is actually the increased uh, intracranial pressure will be quite detrimental to the neurons that's next to the growing tumor and in terms of of, uh, inducing neuronal cell death. And then they identify potential ways to uh, alleviate this uh, intracranial pressure increase dependent on neuronal cell death. So in terms of our work, uh, we actually also found, you know, really fascinating changes in the intracranial pressures in mouse model for metroblastoma, for example. Uh, we also found evidence that the, the, the surrounding non-tumoral cells 
including neurons and glias, are really influenced by the ever-expanding tumor mass. And, and that, that, you know, their response includes cell death, but it's not the consequence actually goes beyond cell death. It, as you mentioned, it might change the, the neuron and glial cell metabolism, it might change the morphology, it might also change you know, the nutrient uh, flux between the vasculatures and also neurons and glial cells. So, so it's really fascinating area, uh, largely underexplored, and, and it could be many answers uh, that should come out in the future. Have you been able to probe or study a tumor, even if it's been resected or not, and look at the pressures at different points inside a tumor and make a mapping? You know, of a tumor of, let's say, a centimeter or two, yes. you know, what does it look like? What do the pressures look like? And how does that govern the morphology of the tumor? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a very good point. I think that actually brings up a, another very important concept, which is heterogeneity. You might know that, you know, heterogeneity is actually the culprit of a failure for cancer therapies. And to say the vast majority of cancer researchers focus on studying uh, so-called genomic or genetic or biochemical signaling heterogeneities can, you know, imagine there are all kinds of uh, so-called different targeted therapy available that uh, suppress or manipulate the function of a defined receptors on the cells. But the cancer is so heterogeneous such that if you basically kill 99% of the cancer cell that respond to that targeted therapy, if you have a heterogeneous small clonal population that resists or do not express the targeted uh, receptors that might promote a tumor recurrence. So, but but you know our work actually uh, suggests that the mechanical heterogeneity is actually a, a, a very important physical trait in cancer as well. So, to take uh, tissue stiffness as an example, uh, we can and actually we are measuring tissue stiffness within the same mouse, and we are hoping to do in the same uh, human tumor. And what we found is amazing. Depending on the geographical location of the focal measurement point, the tissue stiffness can vary uh, greatly. So, at some area, the tissue stiffness, the local regional tissue stiffness within metroblastoma can be as comparable as a non-tumor region. But at some other area in the same brain, in the same tumor, it can actually display maybe 10, 20-fold of a stiffer local regional stiffness. And we think actually that can translate into different outcomes. How, how does, you know, the, the tumor cells residing at different places respond to this uh, so-called tissue stiffness heterogeneity? And that, that's a fascinating area to study. And hopefully uh, in a couple of years, uh, we will have some answer to that question. Well, can you look at, let's say, the localized microbiome around the stiffest cells and see how it differs from the other cells? Uh, by microbiome, you mean microorganisms? Yeah, I don't know if there's any microbiome in the brain, if there's any bacteria. I mean, I guess that's in debate, but... Um... You know, have you looked? Is there any? And if so, uh, I, mean, I don't know. What are the factors of the cell's microenvironment you think will be affected by these different pressures, these different stiffnesses? Well, I guess just quickly answer your question about microbiome. I think there's there's some emerging evidence of, uh, you know, microorganism presence in, in the brain and particularly in some diseased state in the brain uh, where the vasculature is compromised. But uh, we have not looked into that. But, you know, one area we think it might be really influenced by this so-called mechanical or tissue stiffness heterogeneity is actually vasculature permeability. Our unpublished work has suggested that, you know, in, in some area where the tissue stiffness or local tissue stiffness is highest, the capillary, the micro blood vessel permeability is really, really increased in metroblastoma. 
And I, you know, we, we have actually data to show that that is a direct outcome uh, of the mechanical sensing property of the endothelial cell, which lines the capillary, as well as um, cancer cells that wraps around the capillary. Uh, so, you know, in short, I think that the local uh, mechanical heterogeneity has a profound influence uh, on the tumor properties. I don't know what other what other experiments are you doing right now in this regard. What else are you looking at that I haven't mentioned? One thing I, I think I, it's very interesting and cool. You know, one of my PhD students uh, is uh, leading the project. Actually, involves studying fluidic shear stress in brain tumor metastasis. So, so you touched a, a bit about uh, brain tumor metastasis. That indeed is very. Um, it could be different between primary brain tumor types. Uh, in the particular case of metroblastoma, uh, metastasis does happen, and they, they do happen in, in a way that metroblastoma mostly arise at the cerebellum, which is the hindbrain region. But in some patients, the tumor cells can metastasize to, you know, for example, full brain or uh, throughout the spinal cord. So, so there are evidence to suggest that the two-way for metroblastoma tumor cells to metastasize to other regions. One is through bloodstream. They can enter a blood vessel and then they can flow with the blood and to other places and seed and grow. They can also circulate within the so-called cerebral spinal fluid. So that's a particular transparent fluid that, that circulates within our central nervous system. So one project that we have in the lab is study how this fluidic shear stress, uh, it could be laminal, meaning that it's um, uniform in this direction, or it could be turbulent, where you know the force are flowing in all kinds of different directions. So, so we are studying actually when the tumor cells leave primary tumor, uh, and either when they're in the bloodstream or when, uh, when they're in the cerebrospinal fluid stream, how the fluidic mechanical force are sensed by these disseminated tumor cells and whether those uh, force provides advantages for those tumor cells to be able to survive in a very different environment and eventually grow as a metastatic tumors. And as you may know, actually, tumor metastasis is the number one major killer of patients, but not the primary. Yeah. Well, have you been able to compare the stiffness of metastases versus primary tumors to see any correlation? That's awesome question. Um, that that's one question I you know my mind on for a long time. Uh, I we hopefully will quickly answer that question uh, by using some of the customized uh, stiffness mapping tools to compare metastasized tumor versus primary tumor in the brain. But we haven't done that. But there are um, you know other type of a tumor. People actually found that the metastasized tumor. Uh, the, the develop a different stiffness value compared to primary tumor. Okay, but you don't know what to do with that or what's the uh, implication of it yet? The, yeah, the implication is actually that uh, they suggest uh, the remodel the physical microenvironment in the metastasized tumor uh, promote tumor survival, promote tumor awakening once they become dormant in the metastasized loci for a while, and it's pro-metastatic factor. What does uh, angiogenesis look like, or what does blood supply look like in the stiffest areas of the tumor versus the, the least stiff? And again, where do the stiff areas tend to occur, in the periphery or the center? I think that that's also a very open question. Again, Rocky Exchange's uh, pioneering publications suggest that in some breast cancer model uh, in the mouse or uh, in glioma uh, model in the mouse, uh, 
uh, depending on the periphery versus the core, uh, the tumor region can undergo different type of a mechanical force. So I'm not talking about stiffness, but a certain area can be normally undergoing compression, while other area in the same tumor are normally undergoing tension. Stiffness heterogeneity is one area that we are intensely studying right now. And, you know, just without giving you too much details, we actually found profound stiffness uh, value differences both in the tumor region, uh, but between the peripheral, which is uh, uh, next to the normal brain region, and the tumor core, there are profound orders of magnitude differences in uh, stiffness. And that, that actually uh, can be translated into different cancer stem cell behavior, but that's ongoing works. Are there any anecdotal reports of surgeons or pathologists, you know, surgeons saying, well, boy, these brain tumors are really stiff and tough, where they have like a, you know, when you pull out the root, it's, you know, for some reason, it's very stiff or, you know, a pathologist said to you, oh, when, you know, when, when looking at these tumors and cutting them open, we find it's very difficult to do so. They're very stiff or they're, they're, uh, I don't know, they're, they have a very strange consistency. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's okay. an amazing question. Actually, I, so, so my team includes, um, you know, people of different backgrounds. I have mechanical engineering background, uh, postdoc, but I also have a neurosurgeon on my team uh, who's doing amazing stuff. So indeed, I, I actually frequently uh, discuss with him about his, uh, you know, firsthand experience when, when he was performing surgery on human tumors. And then, and then um, uh, what he described is actually, again, there's a huge heterogeneity. And one sort of a, a rule of thumb based on his own experience is that when uh, some of the primary tumors, uh, which we refer to as encapsulated, so when you have primary tumor, uh, brain tumors that's mostly encapsulated by a intact membrane, you can um, easily feel the, the stiffness or the tissue stiffening of that type of brain tumor. But some other type of brain tumor, they are not encapsulated by a sort of a surrounding membrane. Uh, as you might know, in some form of a glioblastoma, the tumor are really invasive. So they, they basically just invade, you know, a lot of times uh, as a scattered tumor cells into the surrounding non-tumor region. Uh, so in those type of um, brain tumors, the tissue stiffening is not easily detected by human for example, by surgeon's hand. So I, I, I believe there are, again, heterogeneity presence in, in terms of a tumor tissue stiffening, and that might have also profound biological consequences uh, to all these different cases. I think, uh, you, know, you know, along the same line, I think a lot of uh, tools that we are building in my lab right now use really highly sensitive mechanical platforms to measure tissue stiffness. So so I should mention that sometimes even a human finger cannot feel tissue stiffness variations, but that does not uh, rule out the possibility that if we use more high accurate uh, sensitive method to, to really systematically compare tissue stiffness, we might uh, see uh, subtle changes in those cases. Have you been able to correlate genetic mutations with stiffness? You know, the cells in an area that are very stiff, what do they look like genetically versus in areas that are not as stiff or? The epigenetics of them. Yeah, I think, again, that's a fascinating open area. We have not uh, tried to correlate with the genetic uh, mutations or, you know, geno genomic aberrations to physical property yet. Certainly, that's one thing that we like to connect in the future or in the near future. But um, in some other cases, without directly comparing these two aspects, 
uh, we do find a particular type of signaling pathway activation actually lead to very reproducible tissue stiffening in, in mouse metroblastoma. So I believe, you know, because when you think about it, the tissue stiffening, as I mentioned, come from multiple factors, right? So one is subdivision in a confined space. So you can imagine if there's certain uh, you know, mutations that really drive fast cell divisions in the tumor in a really confined, for example, intracranial space, that might really uh, cause a tissue stiffening. And, and another, you know, important reason for tissue stiffening is, uh, you know, extra, extracellular matrix protein production and deposition and alignment. So if there are certain pathways that, that, that has a, a strong effect on those uh, aspects, I imagine those pathway activation will also lead to ECM-driven tissue stiffening. But there's no um, very uh, systematic study yet, but we like to uh, venture into this area as well. Oh, what do you mean ECM stiffening? Were you talking about epithelial epithelial to mesenchymal transition, or was it a different acronym? No, uh, extracellular matrix. Oh, I see, I see. Right, okay, yeah. that makes sense. Well, very good. What's the best way for people to find out more about your worksheet? Where can they go? I will refer them to my lab website or just basically Google my name and uh, University of Toronto. Uh, they should be able to find more information about our research. Okay. Well, very good. And uh, last question, Chi, what do you think is possible in the next year or two in terms of your research? Is there anything you're getting really close to understanding or do you think it's going to be a very long road ahead? I think, uh, you know, as you know, I think the signs are never ending. Uh, there's no really a sort, sort of, a, you know, timestamp that we will achieve anything. But uh, as I mentioned, you know, we, we have a pretty diverse and, and good-sized group. And everyone leads one project, at least one project in the lab. In terms of, you know, the outcome from my lab, I, I can foresee that we will continue our study in, in mapping tissue stiffness heterogeneity in brain tumors and understand what's the role of the heterogeneity in terms of mechanical properties in, in the next couple of years. We should have some answer to that. We also should have answer in terms of the very interesting project I mentioned uh, about the studying fluidic force when the tumor cells disseminate into blood or cerebral spinal fluid. And how does fluidic force change the ability for those uh, primary tumor cells to metastasize? So I hope we will have some answer about that question as well in, in the next couple of years. But, but really, I think uh, we just uh, perform curiosity and sometimes uh, you know, serendipitous uh, research, and we'll just see uh, how our data leads us. Well, very good. She will thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. It's my pleasure. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.